Welcome to the bonus episode with Lori Drade. How do you say your last name? It's actually Drowdy. Uh, my Drowdy. call sign in the yeah, my call sign in the Navy was Rowdy. Drowdy. Rowdy, yep. Drowdy. Okay, I love you that. Got it. Welcome to the bonus episode. If you haven't listened to the full episode, head over to alprofessionalcoaching.com backslash podcast or Apple Podcast, Podbean, Google Chromecast. We're also on. Anywhere that you can find video, YouTube as well, the Outstanding Women Leaders. But enough about me. Uh, we have a lot of connections. Somehow we're connected on LinkedIn. And when I see joy and soaring into it, those are two of my buzzwords. So here Yay. we are. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I know it was so funny. We were um, checking in about that. It's, you know, after you've been around for a while and, and you look at all your LinkedIn connections, sometimes it's like, how do I person, but um, as fellow coaches and having been through two fantastic programs, um, CTI, Coactive Training Institute and Positive Intelligence, it's really nice to have that in common. Yeah. So we did not slide into each other's LinkedIn, trying to sell each other something. We organically <laughs> found each other yeah. on LinkedIn. Yes. You know, the old yes. fashioned way. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> what year did you go to CTI? Oh gosh, I started in 2019. So mm -hmm. I got a couple mm -hmm. of in-person uh, trainings done before um, everything went online. And, but I did, um, I think out of the five uh, like foundational courses, I did two of them in person and then three on, uh, or three in person and two online. And then all sort of certification was online. So um, yeah. And I was really impressed with how well they pivoted and made it work online. I, at first I thought there's no way they're gonna be able to do this, but they figured it out and it actually worked out really, really well. Uh, what did. was your experience? Yeah. I got the, my very first class in February of 2020. Uh, oh, little okay. did I know we're walking around <laughs> yeah. the streets of New York yeah. <laughs> that it was going to be one of my last times. Um, yeah. and I had, um, Allen house, Allen house. Oh. Oh, as, wow. one of, as one of my yeah. leaders and Victoria, who I think is fabulous, whose uh, last Italian name skips, escapes me at the moment. Oh. Um, but they, uh, they had talked about leadership. And so I signed up for leadership oh. after that first oh. session. Yeah. 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 And then COVID hit. Yeah. As you know, it was on pause for two years. For yeah. Them. But the one I signed up with Edwin Vega and Karen house we're leading. And so nice. I got to spend every month for an hour and a half with Edwin and Karen for the first 10 months of the pandemic, which was really cool. Yeah. And I went ahead and did my own leadership quest. And so I'm not actually, I, uh, the job I wanted to become a better leader for went away. <laughs> um, and what better way it was missing my second business I started, but I had not started a business when it was pandemic. So that was yeah. fun fun little yeah. journey there. <laughs> For sure. I, I find it fascinating that so many amazing things that come into our lives, you know, they come in completely not at the time that we wanted them to or expected them to. And yet things work out really nicely. So, and look at you now doing this. This is fantastic. And yeah. would you have been doing this, you know, before with the other job? Who knows? Yeah. So. I started this in February of 2020. So once again, like yeah. not aware that the world was going to shut down and everyone was going to get a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it was just my time yep. to check out trying having a podcast. It's actually Thanks. a really fun way for me to learn um, through other coaches. The first two seasons, I had a ton of people on that were coaching and all these different yeah. modalities. So I feel like I went to to flavors of different coaching schools as nice. well. Very cool. Nice. And are, are you still doing work with positive intelligence? I am. So I do still coach clients. Um, I haven't run a program in a couple months, um, you know, like a group program going through it together, a pod. 
Um, but I did end up doing my certification in positive intelligence. And I find that, you know, with my one-on-one clients, with my executive coaching clients, I bring in a lot of the concepts, even if we're not doing necessarily the structured PQ program, I still talk a lot about, you know, PQ reps and, um, the judge and, you know, a lot of the other concepts, saboteurs, just things that really resonated with me. Um, and they resonate with everyone. I think everyone can relate to having, you know, that, that type of judge, um, especially judging ourselves, but even judging others and judging situations. I, people like get it. It makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, even just thinking about it and having discussions about it is a great way to bring awareness to how often we do it in our own lives and how often we're making that choice. Um, do we want to, you know, keep judging ourselves and keeping our hand on that hot stove or do we want to take it off and try to find, um, something more positive or, um, find empathy for somebody else or all the other things that positive intelligence uh, trained us to do. Hmm. And what I find fascinating about what you do, my biggest inner critic for my judge is you've got this one woman show that you've written. <laughs> Before COVID hit, I was doing stand up in the East Village and oh. people were laughing at me and yeah. feeling really nice. It took me like 37 years to get the nerve to do stand up. Uh, mm -hmm. When I was a high school teacher, I always said the jokes are for me, the notes are for you. <laughs> <laughs> as a coach the jokes are sometimes for both of us but mostly yeah for me. <laughs> that's so funny yeah how did you wow. um like get on the stage and yeah telling your one woman story you know I I did theater in high school and college even a little bit of community theater but um really it was something that just never seemed to be um uh, you know, uh, something that I could pursue professionally. Like it never even really crossed my mind. Um, I, I had wanted to in college, but then I basically chickened out. So I, um, and instead went into the Navy. So, I mean, it was a, a great, um, you know, I can't regret my decision at all. Cause I I've had an amazing experience and I'm really grateful that I got to do what I did. Um, but I'd always had an affinity for telling stories and, um, performing, you know, even when I was in business school, like my favorite part of business school was the annual musical that we did that parodied business school. So like, I always just really enjoyed writing, especially and um, and performing as well. But a few years ago, I was in a, a writing group and practice, you know, writing stories that were mostly personal narrative memoir kind of stories. And anything that had to do with the Navy seemed to get a lot of, um, got more attention and um, people really liked it because it was unusual. Like it, there aren't a lot of women flying on an aircraft carrier. And so being able to talk about what that experience was like um, was of interest to people. And so I thought, well, it might be interesting to pull these stories together in a way that is entertaining. Um, you know, not necessarily doing like a Ted talk kind of talk, but more like actually acting being myself, you know, as a 27 year old about to go deploy to the Persian Gulf. And so that's what I did. I, I pulled a bunch of these stories together. And, and also it was a, it was a historical cruise because it was the first deployment on the West coast that had women in combat squadrons. So there were certainly some challenges. Um, and I wanted to be able to share those stories as well as, you know, what is it like to live on an aircraft carrier for six months? So um, it's been really fun to perform the show and um, to share these stories with people that don't really know or haven't had exposure to the military or to naval aviation. And I've, um, you know, it's it's just fun to be able to um, to share the challenges and then also the wonderful things about it. I would, I hope that I'm inspiring 
you know, more young people to join the naval aviation community because it's an incredible career and it's very fulfilling. It's hard, but it's also, you know, I think it's important. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that you started that story with, so I chickened out and joined the Navy instead. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I chickened out and decided to land on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> well, it's such, a, I mean, this is the funny thing, Katie. It's like, um, you know, there's physical fear, which, yeah, you know, it's definitely there were times when I was fine when I was afraid, but um, there's that fear that's in our heads of, you know, fear of failing and fear of not being enough or fear of what people are going to say. And like I was when I was younger, I was very I'm very close with my parents. And when I was younger, I did not want to do anything to upset them. And they were not fans of me going off and, you know, <laughs> becoming an actor. So I didn't want to upset them. And so I didn't do it. And um and so, yeah, it's funny because it's a, it's a different kind of fear, but it it still feels as scary a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, people would rather have death than get on stage. So it is a different I, kind of fear. And I had that fear. I could not get on stage and audition for anything. I would have loved oh, to have been in plays. So I oh, sat in the pit yeah. and played the little band clarinet. And I've always been in that leader behind place on the stage. Yeah. Uh, there's something very scary about a bunch of adults staring at you on a stage. Something about teenagers was way easier. To, uh, <laughs> Southside of Chicago, teenagers staring <laughs> back at me, not a problem. Wow. Put some adults in there and now all of a sudden <laughs> things are sh- shifting. Yeah. And my parents also did not want me to be an actor. Well, my mom, she's always used to tell me to save it for Oprah when I was being dramatic. And when I bought my child actor book. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> She's like, you're not going to be a child actor. Save it for Oprah. When you get famous, maybe she'll have you on her show when you can tell her about it. Awesome. All um, right. I like to think my mom should have said, maybe you should just be the next Oprah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. That's so funny. You know what you just said reminded me of, I think it's Jerry Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, who said, um, most people at a funeral would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy, mm. which I thought was hilarious and so true. Uh, it, there is that fear of of being up in front of people and having all that attention on you. And we just assume like a lot of judgment happening in people's minds about you and that fear of rejection. And it's, yeah, it's definitely scary. It can be scary. Yeah. I think um, I was in that space when I walked into my first CTI class uh, and um, you know, you've, you've been through a divorce, you've been through a lot of things. Uh, I had been through all of those things as well and uh, found myself back in a very similar situation. I'm like, Mm -hmm. how am I working with three people? Only this time I don't own the business, but they're still bullying me. They still hate me. They're still, you know, I'll go into lunch while Katie sits there in this open office and doesn't get an invite to lunch. Uh, It's those things feel way worse, way scarier than they really need to be. I think to dance on the stage, I think is something that CTI uh, gave me a little bit of back that nice. I, you know, that little kid was happy to be on a stage, was not afraid to entertain adults. As an only child, I was only entertaining adults. Yeah. It wasn't until I became one that I was like, whoa, this is a lot scarier than I realized. Yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing. Like the conditioning that we get, you know, as we get older and all the judgments and, um, you know, assumptions or expectations that, that get put on us by other people based on what they w- want or need in their lives. And we just take those on sometimes instead of really staying true to that little kid, you know, who definitely had a perspective on the world and what excited them and what they wanted to do in life. And so um, I liked that part of positive intelligence, that exercise we did when um, I think it's actually uh, around empathy, but it was getting back in touch with that child, you know, who we were as mm-hmm. kids and what was 
um, you know, the adjective that we use to describe ourselves as a child and how can we bring some more of that energy into our lives as adults? So yeah, yeah. it's a great program. The photo I always use when, for that is such a classic, like who I am. I have a sombrero on, I have maracas in my hand. I have a cozy sweater. I have pink shoes on. Uh, like nothing has changed. Only I was almost bald because at three, I was just starting to get hair. Oh, <laughs> I think the universe is like, she's going to have plenty of hair. We will give it to her when she turns three. Eventually, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm the life of the party. And then right in front yeah. of me is a Mr. T notebook. Uh, I was always a detective, even though I couldn't write at three, I still had the notebook. I love that. Mr. T was nice. People know, but that picture so sums up. I have not changed. And I know that in a world where we're all trying to be better than a better version of ourselves, that three-year-old Katie was pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Mine. It's so funny. My picture, my picture has similar attributes to it. I was in a, um, my pink ballet tutu with little sequins on it. And I had on, I had fashioned my blanket to make it a veil so that it looked like I was Maid Marian from Robin Hood. But the best part about the picture was that I was striking this pose. Like I had my hand on my hip and I was looking at the camera like I was Beyonce. Like, I, you know, I am the queen. And when I look at that, I'm, I just feel like, wow, I, you know, I had, I had so much confidence in whatever character this was I was playing at, you know, eight years old. Um, and the creativity too, is what really spoke to me. So it was fun to get back and to get back in touch with that part of myself. And I think the show that I'm doing now is, you know, certainly paying tribute to that part of me as well. Mm, I imagine you're learning a lot about yourself in this one woman show as well. Yes, I am. It's funny because I actually, um, I premiered it two years ago. And then after I performed it at, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 23 times last August, and after doing it 23 times, I the show used to be more about my own personal growth. And I realized I'm really tired about of talking about myself and like a lot of the things that happened. And I wanted to make the show into more of um uh, uh more about something bigger than myself. So really about the whole integration and how it was for us women as a group on the Lincoln, not only my story. Um, so that, you know, yes, I, I definitely have learned a lot. Also doing the show that many times, um, you know, every day for an hour, I'm up, you know, delivering the show and performing the show. Like it was such a confidence boost. Um, I feel like I can get up and, you know, talk to anyone anywhere and feel comfortable doing it. And I definitely have not, did not feel like that even, you know, five, 10 years ago. So I think that practice and that work and just, you know, having it feel more familiar has been very helpful and has helped me with my own public speaking career and um, being able to share those stories. So it's been, um, yeah, it's definitely been a personal and professional growth opportunity. And when you head over to the main episode, you're going to hear all about her experience on the Lincoln and being the first woman uh, as someone who has a degree in history class uh, or history uh, in my history classes in college, there were no women, didn't mm -hmm. have any women professors. There were no women in my classes that graduated. And I never really thought about that, by the way. Yeah. It wasn't until I had someone else on the podcast who also has a degree in history. And she's like, really? I had so many female professors. And I had X, Y. I'm like, yeah, wow. I graduated college in 05 and still didn't have that you know, representation, so to speak. Yeah, And it didn't necessarily make me feel like I had to prove myself, but I had professors who said, oh, good luck on the South Side of Chicago. I'd love to eat popcorn and watch you try to do that. 
or wow. the professor before the, the history teacher in high school who said, I don't think you're going to play tennis in college. I'm like, well, I'm going to get a scholarship division two. So, all right, I get it. Yeah. Division one's probably not there, but D two and money is happening for me. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting how we can get boxed in or people can see what they want to see. Yeah. I imagine that it was a pretty big leap for you to say, not only am I going to join the Navy, but also I'm going to do this thing that no one has gotten to do before. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is that when I joined the Navy, um, women were not allowed to fly in combat yet. So when I joined the Navy, I my expectation was that I was going to be an instructor pilot, um, you know, do that for a few years and then maybe get out and go to the airlines. Um, it wasn't, you know, there really wasn't a career path for me as a as a female naval aviator when I joined, but it was only a, a few years after I joined that the exclusion was lifted. And then the whole thing opened up for all of us women. And, um, you know, one of the women I went through is a three-star admiral now, you know, so, it, so finally, but she would not, I don't think she would have been able to had, she, had the, you know, combat exclusion not been lifted. So, um, it, it's just, it's kind of funny again, you know, like I did not go into the Navy with the plan of being the first anything. I, I went into the Navy because I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to do something challenging and I wanted to travel. And so all those things seemed to be met, you know, by going into flight school and then, uh, just by coincidence really, um, and timing, uh, lucky timing, I became part of that first wave. So, um, yeah, you just never know what will happen. Mm -hmm. I imagine there was some, some ethic, work ethic too, not just timing that also landed that for you. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you head over and listen to our main episode and you're going, not going to want to miss out on all of her stories. She has an MBA from the Wharton school at the university of Pennsylvania. She's got a major in entrepreneurial management, a BA in mathematics, Lori is so much more than just soaring into joy. She's also joy itself. <laughs> so head on over and make sure you tune in.